0: I was born um, on Route 66. Now, the older generation knows exactly what Route 66 is, and uh, younger generation was introduced uh, to it um, in the last few years by a relatively successful animated feature film called Cars. (laughs) Successful in many ways, right? A lot of you have purchased merchandise. Uh, related to that, support the good folks at Disney and Pixar and whoever was involved with that. Route 66, the real uh, highway uh, uh, starts in the Midwest around Chicago and comes down through the Midwest and then through the plains and all the way out to the West Coast and this was pre-interstate days and I was born on Route 66, Elk City, Oklahoma, Memorial Hospital, spent my first night in a dresser drawer because there was not room in the nursery and uh, that's what's wrong with me now uh, route 66 a road trip through the word we're beginning today and we've been encouraging you to read through the scripture this year we're going to preach through all nine major sections uh, of the bible in two thousand twelve and today we're going to get into uh... Um, the first of those nine sections. The Route 66 play is just a reminder that there are 66 books of the Bible that God has given us as a a roadmap for life and uh, to show us who He is and how we're to live. We're going to start today uh, preaching from the first of those nine sections which we've called the law. And it involves the first five books of the Bible. Uh, Sometimes you will will hear the law uh, by the Hebrew word Torah which means law. Now, in the English, when we hear the word law in English, we think uh, strict. We mostly think just of rules, and and things that have to be uh, followed. The, the The Hebrew word Torah was a little broader than that. It it also had the, the meaning, of significance of teaching, of instruction, of guidance. Um, the uh, The Greek um, took the took these five books of the Bible, and the Greek scholars gave it the name the Pentateuch. Penta meaning five, and uh, that, that literally means the five scrolls or the five books. And uh, in those first five books that's uh, called the law, the, the dominant element in the first five books of the Bible is the, the direction or the guidance that God gives to His people. And His purpose in revealing the law is, is to provide that direction and guidance for, for worship, for life, for those that will be His people. And, um, and it was never intended. I heard this from um, a professor that I, of Old Testament I had in seminary, Dr. Alvin Lawhead, a, a really good, gentle, kind man who's, who's now in heaven. And, and he said that the, the law was never meant to be this great heavy burden to be born. Instead it was an expression of the divine grace and caring of God. Um, there's, a, there's a distinction that needs to be made when we, when we look. If you, if, as you're reading through the scripture this year and you get kind of past the stories of Genesis and Exodus begins to give the law. and Exodus is where the Ten Commandments come out and then later on Leviticus and other places there's lots and lots more rules and regulations Added in there. And there's really a distinction that, that kind of needs to be made between the, the moral law of the Ten Commandments and uh, the, the other sacrifices and rituals and regulations that were given as kind of a government structure for a nation. And a way to kind of understand that is to let Scripture help you with that. If later on, when you read the book of Hebrews in the New Testament, The book of Hebrews really helps us connect the dots to see how the moral law of God remains, but all those rituals and regulations that none of us probably observe. And we don't do that because Jesus superseded all of that and opened up a new and better way to know and worship God. Uh, These first five books uh, begin with Genesis. The word Genesis means beginnings. And uh, in those first few chapters of Genesis is a summary of how things began in creation and a description of, of who we are and who God is. And, um, and also there's an account in there in Genesis chapter 3 of what went wrong. And I want you to watch this video, which really kind of, for me at least, brings Genesis 3 to life.
1: The serpent, snake, was the savviest of all of the creatures in the creator's perfect planet. The reptile surveyed the scene with keen snake eyes. Streetwise, armed with an arsenal of plausible lies, he slithered up to Eve, the woman from her blind side. Preserving the element of surprise. And he said, Hello, child. How was your day? I overheard your conversation. I just had one simple question. Exactly what did the creator say? That thing about the tree, the evil and the good. How do you know that you understood? Did he really say what you think you heard? Maybe your mind twisted up the words. Did he say hands off all the plants? Don't look, don't touch, don't taste. What a waste that would be. Eve, the woman, pointed out the tree with the taboo. The tree of the knowing the good and evil too. She told the snake that God had made it drop dead clear that everything else was free, every other tree. But if they took one tiny taste of the fruit of this particular one, they would absolutely, positively crash and burn. Ah, said the snake. Faking genuine concern. The deity's afraid of what you're gonna learn. With just one bite, you be just like him. Eyes wide open. Knowing the heights of what humans can do. Knowing the depths, the despicable too. God would have no tactical advantage over you. You and your man could have the run of the place. Total control over the food you eat, the life you live, the path you choose. With just one small bite you could gain the whole green world and that means that God of yours would lose. The woman Eve walked closer and closer to the tree. She sniffed and felt the fruit against her cheek. Totally wise, with open eyes, she said. What's wrong with that? Maybe my man and I were born for this. Born to know, born to control, born to rule. She swallowed hard and it was done. She gave some to her covenant partner, Adam. He opened his mouth and gobbled it down, and the universe was silent. It was the cool part of the day, and God was walking walking through the land he made, his ecosystem so magnificently put together, about to erode, about to implode, before his sad and timeless eyes. He took one long last look and kissed the innocence. Goodbye. Hide and son. Eve, girl, what have you done? The ground it's broken now. Under a curse from bad to worse. Now your eyes are wise and clear now you know shame now you know fear now you know you're naked now you run for cover well here's what's gonna happen life will be shorter pain will be greater work will harder grinding it out by the sweat on your brow the blood on your hands eve and adam even the bond you have will now be strained slightly off distorted reframed and as for you reptile snake adam will crush your head you will strike and bite his heel you will fit the weight of the consequences of what you've done for eons he looked them in the eye with a sigh it's broken now he said Serpent, he just smiled.
0: Have you ever uh, made such a mess that it, uh, I mean it was such a mess that you didn't really know where to start trying to clean up the mess? Um, let's let's say you're in the kitchen and you take out a big jar of spaghetti sauce and it slips through your fingers and crashes on the tile floor and the glass explodes and that red sauce and chunks of tomatoes and peppers and whatever else is in there it just goes everywhere and it's it's splashed up onto the cabinets and onto the wall and it's it's oozing down into the cracks of the tile And it's absorbing into the paint and and you just look at the mess and you're just like, how am I going to clean this up? You know, where do I start? And it's not like you're going to be able to salvage the sauce now, are you? I mean, what are you going to do? Are you going to glue the jar back together and somehow suction up all the sauce and get it back in? To the, I mean, it's not that simple. It's not like spilling a bottle of pills where you can pick each one up and maybe clean it off and put it back into the, the jar. It's just all over the place. Where do you start to clean up the mess? In the Garden of Eden where God placed man and woman in the middle of His beautiful paradise and creation, there was no mess at all nothing. I mean, nothing, nothing had been corrupted. Everything was beautiful. Everything was perfect until we chose our own way over God's. And this thing called sin entered the picture. And now, what a big mess we've made for ourselves have you ever been just felt like you were just right in the middle of that mess that you'd made and all of a sudden you knew that God was there and you were aware and you didn't even know where to start what to do when uh, when our daughter Janae was um, a, a toddler um, just just in the walking stage she got fascinated with toilet paper and uh, we would periodically uh, find her unraveling the toilet paper and uh, this moment happened there in Clarksville Tennessee when when her mom realized what was going on and slipped around with the camera and there with the toilet paper all around her the evidence she's standing in the evidence of her crime and her response was when caught to say this is for you <laughs> too cute just like her beautiful little girl that's here for the first time in church today um, you can take that picture we'll, we'll never we'll never get away from it uh, the attention there you see God could have looked at us in our mess that we made and he could have chosen to completely destroy us and there is some destruction in those first few books of the Bible but he could have completely wiped us out but instead he chose to extend grace he definitely didn't have to know that today He wasn't obligated to, but he chose to. And when God saw the mess that sin had made, he he began the cleanup process, the redemptive cleanup process, with, uh, humanly speaking, all there was left. He began that process with a sinner. Because if he was going to begin with a human being, that was his only option, a sinner. And from the the remnant of Noah's descendants, God chose a man whose name was Abram. You can start reading about him in in Genesis uh, chapter 11. And God chose from the remnant of Noah's descendants a man named Abram uh from the land, uh, living in the land that we would now uh identify as Iraq. In the in the ancient times, um, families and tribes, and clans, nations, they uh they all had territorial gods with a little g. Every every clan, tribe, nation, kingdom had their own gods that they made up and worshiped. Sure, a lot of them were similar to their to their rival gods, but they associated uh, with their group or their region those, those gods. And, and when one nation conquered another and did well, they gave thanks to their gods, while the other nations were wondering why their gods let them down. So in that world, God decided to establish a nation of His own, a people. A people who would be His, who would know Him, who would worship Him, whom He could work through to be a light to the rest of the world. And when He did this, God started with an invitation. He started with an invitation. And that invitation, the the temptation is to think that, that we would fill in these blanks instead of receive His promises... My first reaction is, why, if you were God, why, I, I wouldn't start that way. If I was God and I was in control of everything and had the power to do so, I wouldn't start with an invitation to receive a promise. I would start with a commandment to obey. But God didn't start that way. He started with an invitation to trust in His promises. And He selected a man named Abram. And you can read the story, and some of you have been reading through it. A man in his 70s with no children. And God said to this man, trust me. Trust me. And go where I lead you, and, and I will establish a nation through you. You see, to this, to this, this man, unlikely man, who's in his 70s, God makes a threefold promise. You can look at it in Genesis chapter 12 beginning at verse 1. Genesis 12:1 it said the Lord said to Abram, leave your native country, your relatives and your father's family and go to the land that I will show you. And I will make you into a great nation, I will bless you and make you famous and you will be a blessing to others. And I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt and all the families on earth will be blessed. Through you. God said, Trust me. Seventy-year-old man with no children, I'm gonna establish a nation through you. Trust me. He didn't say, Abram, grovel down before me and beg. He did he didn't say, Abram, you've got to try to make up for all your sins and your failures and all of those of your people and your race. Now he said, trust me, follow me. And Abram did. But um, a few years go by, and there's just one problem. Abram still doesn't have any sons. How's he going to be... This person that God's gonna bring this, this nation of his own and have all these descendants that are gonna bless the entire earth, how's that gonna happen when he doesn't have any children and he's almost 100 years old? Genesis chapter 15. Genesis chapter 15. It says, Some time later the Lord spoke to Abram in a vision and said to him, Do not be afraid, Abram, for I will protect you and your reward will be great. But Abraham replied, O oh, sovereign Lord, what good are all your blessings when I don't even have a son? Not one. Since you've given me no children, a servant in my household is going to inherit all that I leave behind. You have given me no descendants of my own. What am I going to do? It says this: the Lord said to him, No, your servant's not going to be the heir. For you will have a son of your own who will be your heir. Now, I would be tempted right now to find out who the oldest man in present this morning is, but I'm not going to do that. Try to find out who, who our eldest man here is today. And I'm going to say that they're going to fall... They would fall short of Abram's Abraham's 99 years at this point. But if we could pick out let, let me just, just for this, just, just for fun, you guys, gentlemen, great uh, white fathers, whoever you may be, would, uh, um, if you're in your 70s, you're here today uh, as a man, would you just raise your hand? you mind doing that? Okay. Man, our, we, we bless you. We thank you. We, we honor you. Have any of you reached your 80th birthday? Okay. None of them have reached their 80th birthday. They're still, they're still young by Abram's standards, by God's standards. What if next week one of these gentlemen showed up and said, Guess what? <laughs> We're going to have another boy. It's, just, it's unlikely. It's just, how does this, how's this going to happen? Abram says, God, I don't, I don't even have a son. Genesis chapter 15, verse 5. Out in the Middle East, somewhere under the night sky, God said to Abraham, Abraham, come outside of your tent. And Abraham walks outside that tent, and he looks up in the beautiful, bright night sky. And God says to him, Look up into the sky and count the stars if you can. I mean, he wasn't in a a big city where all the pollution and all the haze was covering up the, the stars. He said, you count the stars if you can. That's how many descendants you will have. I think that imagery, Abram, come outside your tent. God might say to some of us today, Why don't you just, with my help, come outside the four walls you're living in? And for some of you, you feel like those walls are just pushing and caving in on you. Why don't you look beyond what this world tells you? And trust me. Trust me. You know what Abraham did? Well, it wasn't Abraham yet. You know what Abraham did? Genesis 15, 6. And Abram believed the Lord, and the Lord counted him as righteous because of his faith. He counted him as righteous because of his faith. You see, I want to tell you again, I think that if I had been God, I would be looking for righteousness based on somebody's behavior an ability to keep my commandments and my laws. But instead, right here, in this hugely significant story for all of us that are gathered in this place today, the children of faith, the spiritual descendants of Abram, right there, Genesis chapter 15, God established a precedent, a precedent of grace that still stands today. And here's what that precedent is. A right standing with God comes through faith in God's promises. Are you you hearing me? Your right standing with God today does not depend upon your ability to perfectly perform and always do the right thing. And isn't that welcome news. Have you always done the right thing? Always. Do you think going for? do you think this week, the month, the year that's ahead of you, do you think you will always, 100 percent of the time, absolutely perfectly, do the right thing? Now I would I would I would wager to say there are many of you as I look out here today that most of the time you'll get it right, but always. Pastor and author Andy Stanley says this truth right here, this this precedent, this principle, is. The single most important aspect of God's grace. A right standing with Him doesn't begin with your ability to obey. It begins with trust in who He is. God didn't say, listen, glue the jar back together... And put all the sauce and tomatoes and peppers and everything that's spread out all over the place and put it back in perfectly. And then I'll uh, come and inspect and see what you've done with your mess. Now the, the story of the beginnings here is this. In spite of sin, in spite of my sin, in spite of your sin, the sin of Adam and Eve, and all of, all our cousins and brothers and sisters all over the world from, from then on. God said, in spite of sin, trust me, believe me, follow me. Even when you don't know exactly where that's going to take you, and if you do that, I promise you this, I will bless you. And Abram, whose name means exalted father, did that. And with some bumps on the road, you can read the story. With some bumps on the road, he did that. And God gave him that son when he was 100 years old. And he changed Abram's name to Abraham, which means the father of many. Hundreds of years later, hundreds of years later, one of Abraham's descendants found himself in a real tough debate with other descendants of Abraham over how you have a right standing with God. And, and you see, here's the deal. Although all of us, I think, most or all of us would would readily admit that we can't perfectly keep God's commandments, we would still rather the system be set up based on how well we do good things and how often we do it. Because most of us, comparing ourselves to other people, would say, you know, if you weigh the scales out, I'm a pretty good person. And most of the time, I do good stuff. I do more good stuff than bad stuff. I mean, most of us view, our, if we're honest, most of us view ourselves that way. And most of us think that's the way the system should be. And so hundreds of years later, one of Abraham's descendants finds himself in a debate over this, over how you have a right standing or relationship with God. And in that debate, the Apostle Paul is debating with those that say, "Well, the right standing with God comes based on your ability to obey the law of Moses. And for them, that was the Ten Commandments plus a lot more. And Paul said, Now, that's not it. And I can show it to you going all the way back to our father Abraham. And he connected the dots that we see in Romans In the New Testament, if you look in Romans chapter 4, it says Abraham humanly, Paul said this, Abraham was, humanly speaking, the founder of the Jewish nation. What did he discover about being made right with God? If his good deeds had made him acceptable to God, he would have had nothing to boast about, but that was not God's way. For the scriptures tell us Abraham believed God and counted him as righteous because of his faith. You see that? Now there's some verses that follow. Hold on just a minute before you, you bring up what you have next. I'm going to bring some others. Paul said this, When people work, their wages are not a gift, but something they've earned. But people are counted as righteous, not because of their work, but because of their faith in God, who forgives Sinners. Amen. Amen? Best news I've heard today. On down. Romans chapter 4 verse 16 says this. So the promise is received by faith. It is given as a free gift. Can you, have you got that scripture? Romans 4 17? So the promise is received by faith. It is given as a free gift. And we are all certain to receive it. Whether or not we live according to the law of Moses. If we have faith like Abraham's. For Abraham is the father of all who believe. And this is what the scriptures mean when God told him. I have made you the father of many nations. This happened because Abraham believed in the God. Listen to this. Who brings the dead back to life. And who creates new things out of nothing and I've got to keep reading here I don't think they have this but I've got to keep reading Romans 4 verse 18 even when there was no reason for hope Abraham kept hoping Believing that he would become the father of many nations. For God had said to him, that's how many descendants you will have. And Abraham's faith did not weaken, even though at about 100 years of age, he figured his body was as good as dead. And so was Sarah's womb. And Abraham never wavered in believing God's promise. In fact, his faith grew stronger. And that he brought glory to God. He was fully convinced that God is able to do whatever he promises. And because of Abraham's faith, God counted him as righteous. And when God counted him as righteous, it wasn't just for Abraham's benefit. It was recorded for our benefit too, assuring us that God will also count us righteous if we believe in him, the one who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. He was handed over to die because of our sins, and he was raised to life to make us right with God. Have you made a mess? Have you been deceived? Have you followed the wrong gods? Have you tried to fix it yourself? How's that working out? Ask the worship team to come on up. Ask the rest of you to keep your, your attention focused with me for just a minute. Now see, I know the answer to those rhetorical questions I just asked you. I know that everyone here has made a mess. You can say, Well, my mess isn't as bad as the person next to me's mess. You know, that's not that's not even something God's even concerned about. I know every one of us here's made a mess, been deceived. The question is today, how's that going to get cleaned up? The best thing, Now it's the only thing, the only thing to do with our mess is to say you see it God I, I can't I don't know here here I am I trust you I believe somehow Because of who you are, you can take this, this, and do something amazing by faith through grace. You ready to trust the Lord today?